0: Welcome to another episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Craig Cairns and joining me for another remote show is the man who's always telling us it's always sunny and fife, Sean McGuigan. <laughs> Hello. Is it sunny today?
1: Uh, scotching,
0: absolutely scotching. It's, it's dull as fuck here. How is that? How is
1: that? How- I've, had to close the, I've had to close the curtains because it is so bright.
2: But there is a big bright like, light shining in, like a, yep. like a, just a, a narrow, a narrow kind of, uh, shimmer of light coming through that curtain it does look incredibly sunny.
0: That is proof, proof that it's sunny and fife behind me. And also joining us, as you probably heard there, is Craig Anderson, a man who seems to be now more than ever more active in correcting people's pish on Twitter.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my, I, I'm still supposed to be working, but it's, uh, it's certainly a side hustle for me. You've, you've barely worked in the last calendar year. Oh, we strike, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah was, I, that was a dig at yeah. you being on strike all the time. That's fine. No, I, I'm, I'm happy to accept that. I, I've very rarely really worked in the last five years, to be honest.
0: So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to go to the next on our list of memorable Scotland matches we're down to number 38 we'll also look back on the tennis podcast season predictions season's pretty much over uh we'll just take the standings as is and compare some of the predictions but first we're going to just talk quickly about the state of play at the moment just a, a little update on that um so homophobic contributors aside we're not really much further <laughs> forward than the last time this was discussed
2: on the show um, Yeah, I, mean, I think we should point out none, none of us are homophobic that sounds like that sounds like we've got homophobic contributors and that's 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 not the case
0: no i'm sorry i made it sound like oh, that i won't anyway. Yeah, well, I'm sorry I made it sound like that, but yeah, certainly nobody on this show. Um, so there's been a SPFL Commission Deloitte inquiry into the the vote, which found no wrongdoing. Rangers have since come out and said that the scope of that wasn't wide enough, uh, and they have called for and been granted um, an EGM.
2: Uh, leaked- we, we did we did just discover with this uh, with this podcast how difficult it can be to send an email. <laughs> because I went to email out the, the Zoom link, but because um, obviously email notifications make noise, I then tried to close it down as soon as I sent it, but it was still stuck in the outbox. So we were all kind of, viewed. I was sitting on this call waiting for five minutes, like wondering where you were coming, and then realised I hadn't arrived. So it's, it's easy done, the FC.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> proof, proof. Uh, relatedly, the Leak Reconstruction Task Force. Is due to meet this week. There seems to be a bit of chat about 14 14 14 at the moment. Um the League 2 clubs have apparently agreed this. Uh, the Kalmarnik Chairman, I think it was, one of the latest to kind of come out and and, and back that. Um
2: but, I backed it very, very loosely, I would say, from,
0: yeah. from the comments. And obviously all these things are with the caveat that there's still so many outside factors that uh, all this is contingent upon. And then one other thing that we should maybe mention the um the English Premier League appears to be exploring behind closed doors options which then means some people up here have been saying have we been a bit hasty should we maybe be looking at options to finish our our, um, top flight but I think the main difference with that if I'm not mistaken and to pick another example like Germany is that there's much more not only is Germany in a much better place and has a much better handle on the situation at the moment is maybe closer to being able to play uh, football um, uh, comparing us to the English Premier League doesn't work either because there's just much more money and therefore much more kind of influence there. Well, and
2: it, it sounded like they were still talking about having these kind of quarantined training camps where the players are basically there for weeks and weeks. Yeah. Um, like the old Italians back in the 80s when you used to read about, like, oh, even before that, and they used to get taken away for, for camps for weeks on end. Has anybody I asked them? It, yeah, I think the, I think the Scottish Premiership players on like fifty grand a year might be less less happy than the ones that are kind of getting fifty grand a, a week. Behind the behind closed doors in Scotland, is
1: I just it, it can't happen. I mean, as soon as as soon as you ask players to, to to start playing again, then suddenly they you know you can't follow them anymore, and clubs can't pay their wages because they don't have an income. So that's that's kind of totally, I would imagine, uh, just a, a non-starter in Scotland in terms of the. In terms of the three leagues of 14, I can't say, I can't say I'm a particularly, a particular big fan of that either. I mean, if it's, if, if they're attempting to come up with a, with a solution that is the fairest on Hearts, Partick and Stranard, and that it solves the problem of them getting relegated when you haven't finished the season. So that if that's a solution to being fair on everybody, then the problem with that is you have Clyde, Uh, Peterhead and Forfer who would all be playing on an inferior league next season even though they haven't finished 10th they've finished 7th, 8th, 9th and then Cove who won League 2 would be essentially in the same league that their attempt that they successfully got out of this time around so you're actually by by three leagues of 14 you're actually putting more teams at disadvantage and just leaving it as it is
0: Although it does sound like from what the Stenhouse Muir and Elgin chairmans, I think, were saying at the weekend that Cove have supposedly agreed to
2: this. I I find it strange that Cove and Edinburgh in particular would be so happy to throw their former like Highland League and Lowland League compatriots under the bus, to be honest. It feels like it's like, you know, pull up the drawbridge as soon as they've been promoted. because um, I, I think if the leagues stay the same as they are then it's kind of hard luck for Kelty and Brora but you can understand it like they can't play the playoffs so Breakin can't go down but if you go to the length of reconstructing the league then it doesn't seem like too much of a hassle to add a couple of extra places in to, to kind of accommodate those two teams um, so it's it's a it's a curious situation for me. Does it My not change feeling, the
0: voting requirement? Is that not what you said before? It then changes the voting requirement. How it does, but
2: it changes the voting requirement needs to change to um, change the prize money. And if they don't change the prize money, then as it stands, I think it's right. The twelfth place team in the Premiership would get one. Or this is based on last year's money was getting one point one two five million, um, and then fourteenth in the SPFL currently gets four hundred and seventy five grand. You're talking about like a £600,000 drop from 12th to 14th. Yeah, I can't imagine Hamilton, St and probably even Kelly Motherwell will go for that, you know, from a guaranteed over a million pounds to like less than half a million. My feeling increasingly is that they're going to struggle to get enough votes for anything. Yeah.
0: I mean, my view is that um, we're trying to recreate a season which... Probably isn't going to be able to be played out in full. That's my issue with it at the moment. The
2: the the energy is all in the in the wrong place for me. I I do wonder if they should just be just be just keep hearts up and promote Dundee United States and just play a thirteen team league and just. We're
0: probably going to have to promote more oh, more from Denmark? the
2: Lowland Leagues and the the
0: Highland League when teams go under and things like that. We still don't know if there's going to be forty two clubs to reconstruct with. I think uh, I think my issue with.
1: With fourteen team leagues, is is it for ever since? Oh, I don't know. The sixties, we've tried to move away from having big leagues. So we used to have two really big leagues. Then we made them we had more leagues that were slightly smaller. So when I first started going to the games, we had a fourteen team bottom tier, and I can assure you it was inferior to the to the the, the current setup. And I know it would be slightly different because there would be presumably would be a, a trap door at the bottom which wasn't there previously, but we've consistently tried to move away from bigger leagues so that there was more to play for. Uh, Smaller leagues where where everybody had more to play for, be it promotion or relegation. And certainly to me, it's felt, okay, it's not always the best quality, but in terms of having something to play for, it's generally more exciting or certainly more absorbing. It it almost feels a bit like, it almost feels like because it was a generation ago, because I moved away from a a 14-team league early nineties, so whatever it was twenty-five, twenty-six years ago, people have almost forgotten why we got rid of it previously. It's like it kinda feels a bit like when we brought back the the League Cup group sections. There was a reason why we'd done away with League Cup group sections because you end up playing the same teams every season or it gets very samey or if a if a small team can can pull off one big result, it doesn't really matter because they're still not going to qualify out of the group anyway. And we're starting to see that now in the League Cup group stages now we're four or five years down the line and I honestly think if we if we increase the size of the leagues it would have a novelty value to start with and then we would get three or four years down the line and but, say actually I probably was better when it was, teams,
0: when it was leagues of 10 Am I right in saying that it hasn't really been mentioned about whether they're even talking when they will be talking about but there's not been really much noise about whether this is just for one season or whether it's a permanent thing is it? Because the, mm-hmm. the, one of the curious things for me in all this is league reconstruction was never an issue. It hasn't been an issue for a long time. Everybody in Scottish football largely has been um, has been happy with the setup that we've had recently. I, I, you've had some people making their grumbles now uh, because there's an opportunity there, saying, "Oh, like now's the time." It should have been done a long time ago, all this kind of thing. But most people will agree it's the setup's been fine, and it keeps the drama going all the way up to the end of the season. So, uh, for me, I'm in if this is like a, a one season fix to get us back to where to, to the current setup and maintain some sort of fairness and integrity in the sport or whatever, then yes, I'm happy with that. But as a permanent thing, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely against it.
2: I, I know that, um, Kelly, when you were talking about Billy Bowie can interview today, he'd said that he would only back something permanent, regardless of what it was, he wouldn't want anything temporary. And I think Hamilton were in the same boat. Um, but the problem is with a temporary structure is you're you're taking away the the unfairness as such of relegating hearts for not nearly finishing twelfth but not fully finishing twelfth. But then you're presumably relegating a team that finishes third bottom next season. Um, which is that any fairer? I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong in, intrinsically with with relegating a team that finishes third bottom. But to pat, you're almost passing on. A Hearts team who I do think we're going down, and you're almost reprieving them in order to shaft a, a team which could be Hearts, but probably won't be next season.
1: Yeah, I can I see know, that. I know there's. A, I know people often mention the downside of having smaller leagues is that you're playing everybody four times, and they'll always mention like the, the teams that they don't want to play four times. So I don't know. It's just like, oh, you know, you end up having to play Stranraer four times, or you end up having to play oh, Dumbarton four times a season, for example. But you also get to play teams that you probably do want to play more often. So I want to play Dunfermline four times a season or Dundee or Air United. Or, you know what I mean? You also, there's also benefits to it as well. I mean, I would far rather be playing Dunfermline four times a season than playing them three times a season so we can shoehorn Montrose and Airdrie into the league, for example. So I don't I don't always agree that playing teams four times is, is always a, this massive negative either.
2: I agree with that as well. Um, if we could play Hearts um, six times a season, I would take that as well. It's the one downside of them getting relegated.
0: <laughs> yeah, if we could just play Hibs at Easter Road and Aberdeen at Tynecastle all season, I'd be happy with that. Um, right, we'll move on from there. I think we've, I think we've, with the kind of little that's moved on, I think we've done okay with that. Um, we're going to go to the next in our series of most memorable Scotland matches. We're now down to number thirty nine in our list of fifty voted for by you, the listeners. We're going to go back to the 10th of November 1996 to Ibrox Stadium and it was a 1998 World Cup qualifying match between Scotland and Sweden which ended 1-0 to Scotland with John McGinley getting the only goal of the game. It was a group which uh, Scotland got to qualify from, finishing behind Austria and ahead of Sweden by one point so this game was actually quite vital uh, and ahead of also Latvia, Estonia and Belarus. It was the campaign that featured the one team in Tallinn. and I know when we do these um, other podcasts when we do the memorable matches or watching back the classic matches one of the categories is things you misremembered and for me one of these things for me is I thought the one team in Tallinn for some reason was from a failed campaign. I just remembered that from a failed campaign and for some reason out of my head that we hadn't qualified because of
2: it. I think, I mean, we we went on to obviously draw 0-0, which was a, a bad result, which is probably what brought that into your head, because it brought it into doubt, because that was actually that in the build-up this game, I thought I'll have a wee glance and try and get some, some context for this game, and um, there was a Observer article, because the game was played on a Sunday, so there was an Observer article because yeah, it's the only newspaper I can get online that um, it basically said that the decision on the uh, Estonia game had been made like just a week or two previously, and it had kind of given Scotland an extra grievance to go into this game because the decision had been made um, by Leonard Johansson who was Swedish mm-hmm. um, who, who was involved in FIFA at the, or UEFA at the time and, and it almost kind of riled Scotland up because it seemed like we were going to get awarded the Estonia game then we didn't and it seemed like it was being done to favour Sweden and it, it sounded like uh, it was kind of making the argument that it would rile up the Scotland fans ahead of this game and create a fervent atmosphere, which, which I think it kind of did inside Ibrox. It was noisy, especially at the start. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think there was almost it was fueled by that um, because of that game, because it was a previous game. Gary McAllister was supposed to be suspended for that, but because that game then never counted, he missed this game against Sweden, which was obviously a crucial one. Um, so, so there was a lot of like little niggles held over from that. I think.
1: I think. I think what I'd read as well was, you now let me get this right. I think the the day we played Estonia in that game, uh, Sweden. I can't remember who Sweden played that that evening. It might have been Austria. I can't. I can't remember. But apparent, apparently, Johansson was interviewed at half time and he said at that point that the game would have to be replayed rather than Scotland getting uh, Scotland being awarded the points, which would suggest that he. Probably come to that decision without necessarily being, uh, without necessarily having all the facts. But I mean, it was just an hour or two after that incident in Estonia. So, as you say, there was that grievance from the Scotland fans. That it, it kind of went against Gary McAllister as well. And I watched uh, the the whole game got put on YouTube recently for, because SFR was putting up uh, kind of previous matches. And uh, Billy McNeil was on co-commentary, and he says just as the game starting, that he's rarely held uh, Scotland fans as. Uh, it's, it's kind of passionate that before the game. But I think they were also booing uh, the Swedish national anthem, which is quite unusual for Scotland fans unless they're playing uh, England. Then they generally boo. That's unusual for us. Or Liechtenstein,
2: because it's, <laughs> it's got the same <laughs> tune. Um, Wales, because
0: I don't like him. It's considered, uh, it's kind of like a, oh, for want of a better uh, phrase, a gentleman's agreement almost, isn't it? Not to boo the national anthems. It's considered a little bit kind of below the belt, isn't it?
1: I just think we don't do it because England generally do. I, I, I generally think we try and behave ourselves a wee bit more because the English fans don't behave themselves. We try and make them look
0: worse. Yeah, and the game was at Ibrox, obviously, because uh, Hamden was, was being reconstructed around do, that time. Do, do we know why it was on a Sunday? Because I, I thought that was quite unusual.
1: I mean, I, I know I, we had, I think we, had to, we played Belarus on a Sunday because of Princess Diana's funeral, I think. But I, like playing Sweden on the Sunday felt unusual.
2: I had no idea either I couldn't work it out Um, I mean England were playing on the Saturday so I don't know if maybe it was a TV thing or something but I I mean it was on it did seem to be live because I I noticed um, the the thing with the Estonia game which when I was reading up about it is that the reason Estonia one of the reasons Estonia were unhappy and I know this is moving on to a completely different game that was probably higher up in this list was (laughs) that um they could no, It can no longer be televised live on the BBC when it was going to be a 3pm kickoff because it was the funeral for Dunblane um, was going to be on the telly that day. So so TV was kind of starting to have a role in scheduling games and stuff. So it may even just have been down to that. Or maybe even um, Ibrox was being used for something on a Saturday, I don't know.
0: Or something else in Glasgow, yeah, or something like that. Um, we'll have a quick look at the teams because, um, well, it was a Sweden team that had lit up the the previous World Cup in USA yeah. admittedly some of them were aging a little bit by this point but still um players like Jonas Tern and uh Martin Dallin I mean actually started I think Dallin and Ken Anderson were their front two at the World Cup I just mentioned but for this game they went with one up front Dallin actually had to go off injured and um Ken Anderson comes on for him not not a bad replacement I think they uh was it, no it wasn't Jerry McNee was it Jeremy or Job Brown. I can't remember who was. Who was Brown, comment? it was doing. No, uh, Brown. It. He had mentioned his uh, international scoring record, and it was something like. Oh, I can't remember. It was it was one and two or something like that, and he had. Yeah, like, it
1: uh, a, I remember it because I, I watched this game at the time. I at, it's not how I remember that at all, but I remember. I considered Dalian one of the, the the best forwards in Europe at the time, and I was worried about the fact that their defence was coming up against them. Albeit we we had a really good defence, and when Dalian went off with that knock and Anderson was coming on, I felt I, I felt a wee bit better. I felt a wee bit calmer, and then he mentioned, as you say, his strike rate was somewhere like twenty five and fifty four like international that, yeah. appearances, and I was like, oh, this might actually work out even worse for our, Worse for us, but uh, no, it wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, um, and then the the Scotland lineup we had uh, Jim Leighton and goals, defence back three of because it, it was Craig Brown, so it was a back three uh, Calderwood, Hendry and Boyd, uh, and then your wing backs were Matt Namara and Tosh McKinley, centre midfield of Craig Burley, Billy McKinley and John Collins, which isn't bad considering two potential starters were missing from that and Gary McAllister and Stuart McCall, and then up front, um, Dan Jackson and the man who got the only goal of the game. And it was John McGinley. And I'll be honest, I had totally forgot. He was 32 years old playing for Bolton at the time. I had totally wiped this guy from my memory. I, I obviously remember him now uh, looking into this game. But yeah, I, I had just completely wiped John McGinley from my memory.
2: I, I, I don't really remember him much at all. Um, I, I, I say a little bit younger than both of you, but um, I, I don't... Um, I I know that of the name, but I don't really remember. Like I would have probably watched this game. I could even have been at it. My dad did sometimes take me to Scotland games around this time, but um, I don't I, I don't have a recollection of what sort of player he was, except that it was a really well taken finish the goal. I mean, Darren Jackson makes it um, yeah. with a lovely dummy. Um, so Tom, Tom Boyd's kind can of in the left wing back position plays a ball along the deck towards Jackson, who's been marked and Jackson just uh, does a really nice dummy and almost lets it run through and McGinley gets gets just gets it on the shoulder of the last defender mm-hmm. takes a nice touch and then slots it past uh, past the keeper his dummy is from and, about so,
0: 40 yards out as well it's not just like on the edge of the box and no no it's it was, like yeah clever. It was, it was
2: really yeah um, and that, and that's what I always remember of Jackson as a player. Like um, again, I've just seen him towards the end of his career, but he he was he always seemed like a very intelligent um footballer, which is very strange because he's, he's not intelligent at all when you hear him um <laughs> interviewed now. It was his work creating in that game. See, there was a a point, I think, towards the
1: end of the first half. And I mean, let's face it, we were on the I mean, we were on the back foot from the first minute to the last minute. This wasn't like if you compare it to the more recent games, to so when we played Russia at Hamden recently, and we actually started off quite well, took the lead and then faded. We were under the caution this game, literally from from the open minute. I mean, the, the goal in the eighth minute was, was pretty much on the break. But Jackson's work rate for the entire game. T- towards the end of the first half, I think he chased a long ball forward, uh, was beaten to it by the centre half, who then started a, a kind of counter-attack from Sweden's perspective. And it was pretty much Jackson working back about twenty five yards from his own goal who who broke it up. He just he just he's like a I know we often or I often refer to to, to poor players as, as Tesco value type players and they make a comparison. He was like a Tesco finest Graham Weir and that <laughs> he just did not stop working. Uh I mean he was probably more a, a facilitator than a than a goal scorer, but he was probably underrated as a as a player in general and certainly in a, a Scotland jersey.
0: I think he was underrated uh, purely because of that because of his scoring record his scoring record wasn't always great everywhere his scoring record was particularly bad at Tynecastle but Tynecastle was one of the poorer stints of his career I think but um yeah I mean he was he was um as you guys have said a very intelligent player more of a facilitator and probably underrated slightly because his um he didn't have a standout goal record but this goal as we've, we've just described that kind of that kind of um, sums him up. Um, there was a hero at the other end, though, uh, in the form of Jim Leighton, who ended up getting man of the match. I found uh, an independent match report, sorry, a match report from the Independent uh, about this game, and it said that it was Jim Leighton's 37th clean sheet and 75 caps. That's astonishing.
2: Yeah, th- this game was in the middle. I, I listened; to the interview wasn't recent, but I recently listened to um, Craig Brown on Open Goal. Um, and and he talked about that as well, about um, just how many clean sheets he gets. And this game was in the middle of a run of seven consecutive clean sheets for Scotland. And it's um, also
0: it. also between him and Goram, uh, they had conceded five goals over seventeen competitive matches.
2: Um, and 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 it obviously did come down to the defence. I thought uh, Colin Hendry had a particularly good game in this. Um, I was watching it, watching it back at double speed while I was in a, a meeting with work. But um, it, it was uh, Hendry just seemed to be throwing himself in front of everything. The amount of tackles he put in, so it was a strong defence as well. But but Leighton was just. I mean, I think he was thirty seven at the time, maybe. Um, but he was um, thirty eight. Thirty eight at the time. But he, yeah, he, he put in a good performance. There, went, there maybe weren't any incredible saves, but but the volume of saves that he had to make was um, was impressive. Then a, a quote from him after the match, which basically said it was the um, the kind of best, one of his most memorable performances of his career. I, I was surprised at... So I remember him making him
1: four or five... I remember at the time thinking he'd made four or five excellent saves and he walked him back, watched him back. Yesterday, he made... Four or five really good stops. I think a couple of them probably didn't look as good as they were because he narrowed the angle really well. So the forward didn't have that much to do other than batter it at him uh, from from kind of close range. But you could probably argue that if he'd let any of them in, you might even a wee bit disappointed in him. And I, you know, so I, I feel a bit bad because like, I'm not I'm not criticising him at all because he, he did have a very good game. And I always felt slightly sorry for Leighton in that he was often seen or his reputation was such that it kind of felt they maybe let you down a wee bit on the big stage and I don't know if that came from it's obviously had that fallout with Alex Ferguson the 1990 FA Cup final and, and Les Sealy played in the, the replay against Crystal Palace but I, I, when I think back about Jim Layton's big moments uh, you think of the 90 so Euro 96 he I think he played in the majority of the qualifiers but then for the final tournament Andy Gorham was preferred which is understandable because I think Andy Gorham was a better keeper the 98 World Cup you kinda of think of that goal that he let in against Morocco, Morocco. where he kinda of chucked it up in the air. Uh the game for the 90, I think it was the nineteen ninety World Cup where they let in a goal against Norway at Hamden that was about forty five yards out and he kinda of let it squirm through. So it was he was absolutely a, a fantastic goalkeeper for Scotland. But those kind of vital moments or the bigger moments, I always felt there wasn't that much trust in him, which which
0: seems a shame. Yeah. You even, have the, you even have the the calamity, which is not his fault, but have him going off four minutes into a Scottish Cup final, and Aberdeen yeah. don't have a keeper on the bench. It's just he—he he seems to be associated with calamity a bit more than his entire career deserves. He's also, and I have obviously have uh, quite good memories of this because uh, going to a lot of derbies around the time, but he—he he wasn't very good when he was uh, at Hibs either. I remember correctly. In fact, I'm sure he was in goals for four nil. New Year's Day at Easter Road, if I'm not mistaken. Um, See, that's all we remember of Jim Leighton, his dis- <laughs> <is> disasters. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The Vaseline. seems so
2: unfair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, I was looking, you mentioned Jackie McNamara was playing for Scotland. I was only, his uh, second cap for Scotland and um, Paul Lambert came off the bench so we we brought on um, Borussia Dortmund's Paul Paul Lambert as a substitute at half-time which is quite a luxury to have Um, but it was only his fourth cap and he was 27 at the time Because of course the kind of career he'd had he maybe built up and kind of developed as a player later on but it's strange to see Paul Lambert a player who you kind of think of kind of somewhat an iconic player of that era for Scotland that he'd barely played up to that point I think there was a
1: criticism of Craig Brown that he, he relied very much on older players, and I'm not saying that's I'm not saying that's proof, but the fact that the fact that Lambert could get to 27 years age or, and not have an abundance of cap seems seems quite odd. I think this was you were saying that as a Jackie McNamara's second cap uh, was his first cap, not the three second game in Talon. Oh,
2: it Could have been another actually. I, that. I could be you wrong may with be that. Right. You may be right. Um, I think Jock Brown says was... that. I'm pretty sure
0: Jock Brown says that
2: um so so the sfa must count that for a cap then if uh, if nobody else does um but yeah it was um it was an interesting thing for me was um all the foreign adverts around the ground you really don't get that in football anymore now if you watch like any international game they're all sponsored by the same people cuz it's all centralized but it, it kind of harked back to the time when you were playing sweden so there would be like swedish adverts around the ground as well so you were getting stuff like um well I don't even know what they were stuff in Swedish being advertised <laughs> and it really kind of stuck is that you know, the, late, the, the late 90s watching football of um, adverts that weren't for you a bit like Gazprom now nobody even knows what it is I'm definitely not going out to buy any Gazprom as a result of them sponsoring the Champions League but uh, that that was something that, that struck me as well I thought we rode a luck at points
1: as well I thought uh there was a point in the first half where Blomqvist sent a cross into the box which looked like it come off well it did come off Jackie McNamara's hand whether whether the referee whether it was to do with the fact they he didn't mean it or whether I mean I, I thought he stopped it with his arm I did quite like the fact that that went to a replay Jock Brown and Billy McNeil both looked at it and then just stopped talking they never even mentioned it so they probably <laughs> decided that it was a penalty but they were just going to be biased and no mention it
0: yeah they certainly were a threat St- uh, Stephen Black rasped the uh rasped a free kick past the post
2: that's it that's the big, big Stefan Schwartz who um, when he signed for Sunderland had a clause in his contract that he wasn't allowed to go to space, did we hear this? no, <laughs> no. so, so I, I remembered this from the time and I found, or not from, from, from roughly about the time but um, there's a BBC article for it um, as well which I've brought up um, let me see, so it's footballer banned from space Sunderland's new signing, Stefan Schwartz, has been told he cannot travel into space on one of the first commercial passenger flights due for liftoff in the year 2002. The Swede, who joined the Wearside Club last Thursday from Valencia in a deal worth just under $4 was told that space travel would invalidate his contract. Um, Speaking on Radio 5 Live, Sunderland's chief executive, John Fickling, said one of Schwartz's advisors has indeed got one of the places on a commercial flight uh, so this was, uh, I think, the Virgin, maybe, per commercial flights that were being scheduled. This is around 1999. Um, and so they were worried that he would take Stefan Schwartz with him, and therefore they had to put something in his contract to say, no, you cannot go to space. He'd be shite in a Pep Guardiola side. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good... Has anybody else got anything to uh, add about that game? Or good- uh, Henrik Larsson came on. I think it was his first, uh, first ever appearance in Scotland. So... Um, Well, I remember I looked up his Sweden under twenty ones played in Scotland in nineteen ninety two, but I looked it up and he wasn't playing, so I'm pretty confident on that.
1: Yeah, anytime, anytime I have heard Tony cover a a, a classic Scotland game, he has generally managed to find some kind of sex scandal for at least one of the players involved. I I went through the entire Swedish team and I couldn't I couldn't find any scandal involving them whatsoever. They seemed like some very some very clean living guys. The only thing the only thing I did think was a bit weird was. When Colin Henry had one of his umpteen uh, kind of diving blocks to protect Leighton, uh, Jock Brown said that's why they call him Captain Block. I've never heard Colin Henry uh, <laughs> described as Captain Block or called Captain Block before. I think yeah, I just made the, that
2: up. The world's worst superhero. <laughs>
0: As we said at the top of the show, we're going to finish off with our season predictions. Um, rather than just go through lots of lists of predictions, which um, I'm sure you can all agree would be boring, we're just going to go through a couple of categories, I think. Um, so we'll kick off with, we'll each just talk about how we thought our own predictions turned out. So Craig, why don't you kick us off and tell us how, what, what you thought your own.
2: Um, they're not terrible um, I, I've somewhat overestimated Hearts because I've got Hearts sitting in sixth um, which which seems wildly over optimistic but I had Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen Mullerwell, Hibbs, Hearts, Kelly, St. Johnston County, Livy, Hamilton, St. Mirren so i have probably overperformed I got the top four right um, not quite in the right order, I had Mullerwell Bill, Aberdeen, but I, I thought I did an okay job, my best signing um, predictions less so
0: yeah, I don't think um, anybody's really done very well. We do at an awkward point of the season where lots of players still haven't been signed. So, I mean, there were people putting in the Kilmarnock one, things like someone else to come in because they had only signed McCreaney and Brunescu by that point.
2: Yeah, um, I have, I've got Brunescu's worst signing for Kelly, which is probably actually not correct because the other keeper we brought in after him was even worse. Um, other other ones I've got um, worse signing for Mullerwell is Jake Carroll, which seems unfair. Um, I've got Christian dodge is the worst for Hibs, um, and Josh Vela is the best, so you can swap the two of them around. Um, I have um, Hatem El Hamid is the worst for Celtic, which again seems quite harsh, but generally, um, generally, I, I think my predictions are, are, are okay. Um, I got I got three of the league winners right. I said Falkirk would win League One, um, but no, I'm, I'm fairly happy that I did an okay job I think I got um, Aletheo right in the sack race I can't remember if anyone else went before him but um, this was probably written just in the aftermath of um, the unfortunate incident um, yeah. that, that we won't talk about
0: and of course you've got Lewis Ferguson young player of the year and Stephen Rompson's manager of the year who very well could have turned out to be to be those um, Sean what about you what did you think of your predictions overall uh,
1: disappointingly I went back to mine this morning
0: to discover that they
1: were okay I mean, you either you either want your predictions to be absolutely spot on, or you want your predictions to be absolutely stinking. So, the year I tipped Cowden Beath to win League Two, and they finished in the relegation playoff place. I mean, that's, that's that kind of real rubbishness that you want for your predictions. Mine's where mine's where passable, apart from apart from a couple that I might touch on if you want to go through categories later. But I think there was, I think importantly, there was there was reasons to why I predicted these things. Sound sound logic.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and I shared Dumbarton as bottom of the league. I think a few people went with that given the state they were in at the start of the season. So I think that was that was kind of fair. I I would say like mine again weren't terrible. Um I think the best and worst sign I think it was difficult to compare people's because like I say, I think it's just all the the transfer window's not closed yet and yeah, I think that's probably the most difficult category out of all of them. So I w I wasn't really looking at the sign ins that much. But um yeah, I've like everybody else, I've over I've overestimated hearts. Everybody apart from one person, which we'll come to later, who I think's probably been the best performer uh, out of all this. I've got three of the four champions, which I'm quite uh, quite happy with. Did less well in the relegation. I got um, one out of, well, I suppose Brecon aren't getting relegated or not, weren't necessarily relegated, but that's the only other one I got correct. I had St. Mirren, Arbroath and Dumbarton. Um, and the leagues, like I say, I got the champions bar one. I had Falkirk instead of Wraith. And then beyond that, I had like a howler in the, in each one. So I had like hearts fifth. I had Partick Thistle second. I actually remember um, <laughs> asking every Saturday for the first few weeks of the season if I was allowed to change my Partick Thistle prediction. <laughs> I've got Forfur in second. Uh, not only that, I've got Forfur getting promoted through the playoffs.
2: I do as well, I think. <laughs> I don't know remember
1: why. I remember Forfar had finished second the, the season. They'd finished above Wraith Rovers the, the previous season. I had them to finish. I had Forfar to third this season as well, to be fair.
0: They were, they were a dark horse going into the season and it didn't quite work out. Um... And I had Stenos Muir in third because Craig Telfer told me that they had some money to spend in the,
2: the uh, later on in the season. Well they think Gary Harkin's a man that can run a half marathon slower than me. Yeah, that's where the money's gone.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. And and tells some other ones. I Scottish Cup, Celtic, Bedford Cup Rangers, obviously that's wrong. Um Player of the Year McGregor, I think he was getting better as the season was going on, but I don't think he would have been in the conversation for player of the year maybe in the conversation for nominations you, Lewis Ferguson, young player of the year, that's alright uh, Stephen Robinson, manager of the year again, I think that's a good shout uh, Paul Heckenbottom for sack race, so I got, I got second in the I know, no, he,
2: he did, he would have gone before the eh? oh, he oh, was December so, oh, there you go. so I was forgetting anyone else had gone, so you're probably right actually oh, I've done okay there then
0: I think right yeah, so what, what was your top line what was your kind of overall impressions, we'll start with you Sean this time
1: uh, I, I mean, I, I, I was rubbish at picking winners, with the exception of Celtic. The the, the winner of I uh, had Dundee as one in the championship, which may have been my uh, my biggest boob, to be honest. I, I remember discussing the the championship on the, the the preview show, and the reason that we didn't pick Dundee United to win the league is because we weren't sure if Lauren Shankland, <laughs> we weren't sure if Lauren Shankland have a particularly good season. We did put that down to how well the the kind of production line would be behind them to try and justify that. But that was the one where, I think, because like, Telford actually put a number on it, didn't he? Yeah, I think he said Dundee. he
2: wouldn't get it's double figures. Is that correct? He was in it by weekend two or something. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: scored four. He scored four on the opening day against So, But I also thought that like Dundee and I thought and Kane Hemmings had a pretty good, pretty good forward there. I thought their midfield would be comparable to everybody else, uh, to, to most teams in that league. Uh, I didn't realise how terrible the defence and goalkeeper would be. To be fair, until uh, until January or February, or so. Uh, I also had what else? I'd it to win League One. I'd Falcott to win League One with race second, and I I, I genuinely thought Falcott would have run away with that league. To be fair, if, if it had went to the to the end of the season, it might might have might have pipped it. But I thought Falcott would have won that at a canter. And and in all honesty, they should have done. Let's face it. I did have Edinburgh to 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 finish above Cove. I was surprised at the start of the season how how big. And in terms of the bookies, how how big uh, Cove were as as, as favourites? Because I thought Edinburgh had a pretty good squad as well, which they did. Uh, but no, they they, they kind of went neck and neck with them until maybe two thirds of the way through the season, and then Cove pulled away the last the last five or six five or six games there. So no, I I only predicted one uh, one league winner.
0: Um, it seems like most people have. Underestimated our broth season as well. I certainly had them bottom. A lot of people did, although the hive mind uh, seemed to have them uh, staying up. Had them as eighth. I had I had our broth as
1: bottom. I, I thought at the start of the season, out the of two of them, I thought Alawa had a slightly better team than our broth, and historically part-time teams struggle in that league. So you would generally you would have the the part-time teams near the bottom. Although I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think it going forward you maybe need to, to readjust that line, of, that line of thinking because there's a number of part-time teams now do really well in that division. It's not, uh, it's not quite as difficult for the part-time teams to not necessarily thrive, but certainly stay up and, and tread water at least.
0: All right. Um, one of the other categories I've got here is what was the biggest fail? What or who or just however you want to answer this, other than Rob, who failed to fill out about 80% of the uh, <laughs> predictions. Uh,
2: Craig, who, 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 who or what was the biggest fail for you? For me personally, um, phew, I maybe having Forfa to come second is um, is pretty bad. Um, I had uh, Kelly to win the Betfred Cup, which um, in hindsight I, I did have a feeling about it. Um, and and we got we we should have beat Hibs in the quarter final. To be fair, we, we lost some penalties in that game, so maybe we would have um, would have been eliminated in the semi final, which would have seemed seemed less bad, but. From, out of mind there wasn't something that jumped out as like egregiously terrible um, but cause I, in fact I got the, the bottom for the league one and league two right I too I had I had Aloha to come bottom of the championship and I think that was mainly down to Peter Grant who I didn't really fancy would, would be up too much We actually Seems to have done a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, he has. Um, After a poor start um, I'd say, or a difficult start.
2: No, not, not out of my predictions, and maybe having Christian Deutsch as the worst signing for Hibs, but it wasn't. It wasn't a, an opinion I was alone on at the time. I wouldn't say. Yeah. Oh, cool. sorry. I do have um, the best signing for St Johnston as been Wallace Duffy. Well, that, um,
0: that leads on to what I was just about to say. I was going to say most people had Mads Veman as uh, their best St Johnston signing. Who? not only went to leave St Johnston during the season went on to retire. So uh, <laughs> that that really wasn't a very good prediction. And that there was a fair few people had him down. St Johnston were looking for a decent centre half to come in and this was a guy that was an international, but obviously Estonian international doesn't really mean that much in and of itself. Um a good gonna, name as well, isn't it? It is. It is a good name. It's a, it's a it solid name. For a lot. Um Gary had sorry to pick on you, Gary. Um he had Rangers and Dundee to win leagues. I think he's had a particularly bad one there. Um and then he also had um Kilmarnock's best sign-in as Alessio's replacement. Which at first not I thought certainly <laughs> <laughs> not the case. Which at first I thought was just uh, a typo, but no, he 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 does it again. For St. Mirren's worst sign-in, he's got Jim Goodwin. <laughs> So uh, I mean, I'm sure that's what he meant. I'm sure he was, but he's, uh, but but they, they were looking for they were looking for players there, Gary. Um, well he set up
2: the whole thing up so he can do it every once surely. Maybe, yeah,
0: maybe <laughs> he's a boss. He can come on and justify himself. Craig, was there, were there, what was it? What was the biggest fail in your eyes? I don't know. All right, sorry. No, that, that's what I was
2: saying. I was struggling to to, to get one exactly right. Um, oh, right. Anyone that picked I'm anyone probably, that yeah. picked anyone that picked Rangers to win anything. Yeah. And on a on a personal point of view, I probably had
1: two stinkers. So I had Livingston to finish eleventh, but then I just thought they I thought they'd lost too much quality in the summer. So they lost a centre half. So they lost Kelly and goes. And you, you've seen teams in the past where they come up for the championship and then they have a good season, but they, they struggle to sustain it and they struggle to kind of contain that. Or continue that upward momentum. And it, it looked, I thought at the end of the season previous at Livingston were or Santa to actually slip backwards. However, that's that's obviously not been the case. The other one that I was that I'm more disappointed in, not just because I got it wrong, but because I had real high hopes for Dumbarton this, this season that they were going to be like a real part of team, as in do a break-in, maybe end the season with single figures in terms of in terms of points. I, I appreciate that. Wouldn't it have been nice from a from a Dumbarton point of view, but it would have been funny for for everybody else. And after that League Cup campaign where they looked absolutely rank, uh, they they made a, a few decent signings right at the very end of the the transfer window, and kind of got their kind of got their act together a wee bit to to put together a thoroughly mediocre mid table finish, which is which is no good to anybody really
0: yeah I mean he d- deserves a bit of credit, Jim Duffy for turning that round because that looked like a real desperate situation at the <laughs> at the start of the season uh, I wouldn't be quite tipping him for Scotland manager, but I do think he deserves <laughs> uh, some praise and you mentioned Livingston there I think when you look at most people's standings for the um for the premiership, if you just switch hearts and Livingston and most of them, then most people have kind of are in the right ballpark i think um there was one person I thought performed better than anybody else. It's certainly, in a few categories, and it was Tom. He was the one who had hearts the lowest. He had them in tenth, and he also did. He have I think he had Levy higher than than most folk as well. He he had he them, them six, yeah. Which they they may have very well have finished exactly there. um He also had wait, Lennon Manager of the Year. That's a good shout. Alessio Sacre is not far away. Lewis Ferguson, Young Player of the Year. Ryan Christie, Player of the Year. I think I, I don't know if he was the only person that had him, but that that's maybe he he was maybe the favourite for Player of the Year. Ryan Christie. Uh,
2: surely, surely they'll still have it eventually. You would think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Aye. Probably. I don't know.
2: I think he. I think he probably will win it. I would guess.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine so as well. Yeah, this that, is another reason why I was saying. Uh, I think Tom's performed better than any of us. I think if you, because I think, I think the sign ins is much of a muchness. I don't think you can really look and compare much across the best and worst sign ins between us all. And admittedly, Tom's not done very well in the lower leagues, but, uh, it looks
2: now, like I'll start
1: with what you know. He's, he's uh he's performed exceptionally well in the Premiership. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: yeah, like- yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is why bookmakers exist, and this is why they they remain in business because prediction is a mug's game, but it's fun. It's fun to do at the time, and it's fun to look back on. Although I think we we haven't had like the usual kind of embarrassing stuff that you sometimes would have. I think we've actually all not not made asses of ourselves this time, which is somewhat rare.
0: Yeah, it's not too bad. Although, pretty much everybody had Craig Halkett as the best hearts signing.
2: Nobody was to know that he would come back about 15 stone over late.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and um, Declan Gallagher had been carrying him for the last two years. (laughs) That's that's it for this week's show. Um, We'll be back on Thursday with a different lineup. There's plenty of stuff going up in the Patreon. Please be sure to check that out. And yeah, we'll be back soon. Stay safe, guys. Say bye.
2: Bye.
1: 18 plus.